chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. We split our study in Genesis chapter 3 up into two different studies. We talked about the fall last week, and now we're talking about the effects of the fall this week. As we mentioned last week, it's really important to understand these next couple chapters here. Very simply put, any struggle you have had this week, be it spiritual, be it emotional, or be it physical, is all because of Genesis chapter 3. If you have struggled with anything physical this week from something as simple as having a cough or a headache, it's because of Genesis chapter 3. Once sin entered the world, it has affected you physically. Sin destroys you. Sin kills you. If you struggled with anything emotionally this week, you have had worry, fear, anxiety. It's all because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. If you've struggled with anything spiritually, a feeling an emptiness from God, or Lord, where are you, or just anything, it's all because of Genesis chapter 3. As we mentioned when we started our study in the book of Genesis, anytime someone comes up to me and makes any type of comment about it's difficult for them to believe in God with all these things, I always say this is not God's original plan or purpose or anything. If you go back to the beginning of Genesis, what you see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you see God's perfect creation and plan. What you see in the first 13 verses of Genesis 3 is man messing up that perfect plan. And then from Genesis 14 on, you see the effects of man's mess up on this perfect plan. So, when the world is going awful, do not blame God. These are the effects of a sinful group of people living in a cursed, fallen world. That's the way it is. And we see that curse happening tonight. If you weren't with us last week, verses 1 through 13, Adam and Eve sinned. And now we see the effects of that sin and what that means and what happens. So, verse 14 starts the curses, if you will. And you have four different ones. You have the physical cursing of the snake. You have the spiritual cursing of Satan. You have the curse on the woman. And you have the curse on the man. So we're going to talk about these four, what they mean, how it affects us today. And then we'll go on with the rest of this. Verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There's a physical cursing on the serpent, on the snake, for everything that happened. I encourage you, we don't have time on a Wednesday night tonight to get into this, but if you get into any type of studies by any type of Christian scientist, there's some wonderful studies on the snake itself and the actual physicalness of the snake of it being on its belly and the biblical background of that. It's a fascinating study. Think about this for a second. Verse 14, the snake being on its belly. That's a curse. It has to be on the ground. It's perpetually unclean. It's perpetually dirty. I don't think there's any other creature in the world that has evokes such strong emotions than a snake. I just don't think there is. If I would come up here, and I, and I thought about doing this before with other studies on this, and I, and I couldn't do it because my wife hates snakes, and that's not even a strong enough word. If I'd come up with it and I just had a brown bag with me and just even hinted that there could be a snake in there, some people would absolutely freak out. It just would. There's that much thing. When you see a snake slithering through the grass, just the way it's moving, it just really bothers some people. I know this one guy... And this one guy is the, one of the toughest guys I've ever met, and I mean that. Completely petrified of snakes. If you bring up snake, he just tells you to stop talking. We were at the zoo recently, and if there was any type of snake or anything like that, Dawn immediately just left the exhibit. Would leave the kids behind. Stranger, take care of them. I'm leaving. That idea of just there's this fear. And you see this cursed animal, verse 14, 
of a snake. So there's, a, there's an actual curse on this creature of a snake for the role that it played. But you see in verse 15 that there starts to be a little bit now of a switch. There's a curse on the spiritual snake, which is a picture of Satan. Somebody asked last week, the references that show us that Satan is actually the serpent, I put them down there on the sheet for you there. There's four references in the book of Revelation that shows us that Satan is this serpent, if you will. Now, note in verse 15, this is the first prophecy in the Bible. The first prophecy in the Bible is a picture of the death of Christ on the cross. Look right here, if you will, in verse 15, that there's going to be this struggle, this fight between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. If you like little tidbits of information, note in verse 15, her seed. That's already a picture of the virgin birth. Not Adam's seed. This is told to Eve. Because why? Because the birth came through the woman, not through the man. So you even see right in here a picture of the virgin birth in verse 15, her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The bruising of Jesus' heel is a picture of the cross. Bruising of a heel, it's not a death blow, but it hurts. Christ, yes, he died on the cross for the sins, but he came back alive. And it says right here that you shall bruise your head. That shows that Jesus defeats the enemy. He takes out the head. So there's so much prophecy in verse 15. There is a struggle between the descendants of God and the descendants of the enemy. It's a virgin birth, her seed. The head of Satan is crushed, crushed. But yet Satan bruises the heel of Jesus, referring to the pain and suffering that he goes through on the cross. Verse 15 sums up the rest of the Bible in one verse. The first prophecy in the Bible, right there in verse 15. You know what else this shows me? shows me how much God loves us. Because as soon as there is a problem, as soon as there's a problem, he's already working out a plan to fix the problem. Isn't that amazing? As soon as sin enters the world, he's already got a plan to fix the problem. What a, what a loving picture that is. It's not, until, it's not like chapters later, God finally says, okay, I'll figure this out. He immediately lays down the plan right there. The seed of the woman will defeat the serpent and that's how everything will get fixed. So you see the curse there physically of the serpent. You see the curse there in verse 15, spiritually speaking of the enemy. And that's packed full of prophecy in verse 15. Now in verse 16, we see the woman. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What you see there with the woman is a lot of different things. You see this idea of the physical pain a childbirth, and you see this idea of the woman struggling with this idea of rulership in the family. Now, we joke about this a lot, and it's really not a joke. We've said out here before, part of the woman's curse is her husband. It really is. There is this curse of the woman saying, I have to submit to that thing. Because sometimes husbands are not worthy of honor and respect. And I mentioned this when we did teaching on marriage just a couple weeks ago. One of the questions I always ask, husbands, why do you love your wives? And I always say it's a trick question. The answer we're looking for is because God told me to. Wives, why do you honor and respect your husband? It's a trick question because God told me to. I have met some women's husbands that are not worthy of respect or honor. They're not. They're not a godly man. They're not a godly leader. Part of their curse is still to say, I will respect the role of the husband in this institution of marriage. And I've also met godly families. And I've had women come up to me quietly saying, I struggle with submission. 
It's a difficult concept for a, a woman to stop and say, you know what? I will accept how God has ordained the family here. That's difficult. And you see, that's part of the curse. Why? We can go into detail here. It doesn't come out and say, is it because the woman wasn't listening to the man? Is it because Eve was out on her own? And we talked about that last week a little bit. How much different would everything be if Adam and Eve would have stuck together? If Eve would have listened to the leadership of the man? If the man would have been a leader and been there? Trust me, we'll get to the man here. The woman has one verse of cursing in verse 16. The man's got three verses of cursing. Trust me, we'll get to the man. But you see part of the curse here. So wives, when you have a moment this week where you struggle with this idea of your husband, that's part of the curse. It really is. Now, obviously, pain during childbirth, where it says in verse 16, Oh, great to multiply your sorrow and your conception, and pain you shall bring forth children. It's almost mind-blowing to stop and think. Stop and think that the way God originally intended childbirth to be would be this painless, almost fun experience, if you will. And I'm not going to get into any jokes about childbirth. I've already told myself I'm not going to do that. I've seen Dawn have five kids. It's not funny. It's not in any way whatsoever. And what you see here is this idea. It's greatly multiplying your sorrow and your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. It's difficult. You know what's even more difficult than childbirth? is not making a joke about it. That's hard for me. So, I'm struggling with that at this moment. So, there is part of the curse where it comes to that. So just keep those in the back of your mind when it comes to that. Verse 17, Then he said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. See, Adam doesn't also just get cursed. Verse 17, he gets reprimanded. Adam, you messed up. You messed up as a godly ruler, as the godly leader of your household. You weren't taking care of the spiritual leadership of your family. And since you were not taking care of the spiritual leadership of your family, this is why we are here now. Verse 17 Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you shall return. See, Adam, the curse of Adam is weeds in the field. And that's what it is. It's this constant weeds in the field. And that's obviously symbolic of many things. It's symbolic of just the work that we put into it. It's symbolic of just you're constantly working out the weeds of your life. It's toil. Now jump back to the way it was supposed to be. Remember in Genesis 2, we looked, oh, where was that verse at? Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And we talked a couple weeks about how that word tended and keep it meant to work it. And we talked about it wasn't the work that we're thinking of. If you remember, we talked about imagine having a garden where there were no weeds, no bugs, no nothing. It's not work. It was enjoyment. It was pleasure. All of a sudden, that's changed. See, Adam went from the Garden of Eden, where you just walk over, pick the apple, eat the apple, enjoy the apple. It's now all of a sudden, Adam, plant the apple, water the apple, weed the apple. A lot of work. And part of this is also what we struggle with as men. It's the idea of working. Now, please don't take it, women, as I'm saying that women don't work. I don't mean that in any way whatsoever. But this is not the way the world is supposed to be. Our life in this world consists of work. I'm willing to bet you have had conversations about work today, either with someone else, with your spouse or something. Hey, don't forget, i got to be in work early tomorrow. Don't forget, i got to work this weekend. Hey, don't forget this. Work 
This idea of work, and if you're not working, you're looking for work. The idea of I have to work to pay the bills. The idea of I can't go do this because of work. The idea that, you know what, I'm really tired because of work. Work dictates our life. And since we have to work, it takes away the joy of life. I had one of these moments this morning. I was working on some emails out here at church, and late in my fourth one came up to me, came up to me and said, Dad, will you face me on? That's his little phrase if he wants to fight. He's got his little Nerf swords in his hand. He's got a Nerf sword for me. Can you face me on so we can fight? My response, why not right now, buddy? He said, I, I got I to get these emails done. I got to get them finished up. The curse of work. If I was in the Garden of Eden, I could hit my kid with a Nerf sword anytime I wanted. But since I'm not, it's work. And that's what happens here is this idea. Look at the phrasing in verse 17. Toil, you shall eat of it. Verse 18, thorns and thistles. Verse 19, in the sweat of your face, we work. And one of the craziest words in the English language is this idea of retirement. That you reach a point of where you're done working. You're never done working. There is this curse the rest of our lives of work. And it may not be going to a 9 to 5 job. It's the work of just having a house, of keeping up with it. It's the work of just keeping up with yourself. It's the work of just doing the laundry and the dishes. And It's work. And this is a cursed, fallen world. So once again, and I've said this many, many weeks in a row, forgive me for my repetition, when someone comes up to me and says, I can't believe this is what God wants, I agree with you 100%. This is not what God wants. God's plan was not for us to suffer physically, to suffer emotionally, to suffer spiritually. It was not God's plan for us just to scratch out a living day to day. That wasn't His plan. His plan was Genesis chapter 2. We did Genesis 3, and now we have the result of Genesis chapter 3. For you that are married, look at the stress you have in your marriage. I bet the stress you have in your marriage comes from the fact that the woman is frustrated sometimes about what her husband is doing. That the husband is frustrated that he has to carry this burden of, Honey, i got to go to work. I can't be two places at once. This curse of the work. Think about just the curse that you've had in your life of just physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. It's a cursed world we live in. So we're going to build on this. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments over the first few things? Yeah, Ryan. Good questions there. The first one there of talking about how the actual physical transformation of the snake. Yes, what I've studied out and what I've seen, and this is above, um, I'm only going to repeat what I've read and studied by other Christian scientists, that there was actually a physical transformation of the snake, like you're saying there, that it probably was a creature that walked before and on legs, and now part of the curse is it's crawling on its belly. And once again, I encourage you to study it out because it's a fascinating thing. So I agree with you about a physical transformation. Number two, why was all, as you use the word snake kind, and I like that word, Cursed. My personal opinion, quote, personal opinion, is because anytime you see a snake, it's a reminder to us of what went wrong and what went, happened. It's not just because of the one snake. It's a visible reminder to us of all things that when we see a snake, it's, that's the curse. So that's my personal opinion. God is really big into doing one sign to cover everything. When we see a rainbow, it's supposed to remind us God's faithful and he'll never flood the earth again. So when we see a snake, it's a reminder to us this is a cursed fallen world. 
So that's why I think he cursed all snakes, not just the one. A visible reminder to us. Anybody else have any quick questions, comments about this? Rose. Yeah, it says your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Yeah, yes. A word um, I don't in my different translation. I got New King James here. I will ask real quick. Does anybody have NIV out there? Do you have a different word than desire in verse 16? It says desire. Does anybody have New Living? Trans- what does it say? Welcome your husband's affections. So it's the husband's fault. You want you want the microphone to speak that in? I, I know I understand what you're saying. No, I'm, I'm teasing you. I, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. There is that there's idea of there's this pain. I, I don't want to put words into your mouth. What you're saying is there's this sorrow and conception and pain forth and child, but then there's going to be this repeating of the process. Yeah. Whatever she said. Yeah. Whatever Lola said. Whatever Lola said. Yeah, Lynette. Hebrew in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. What what I heard one time was a teaching was, um, and as you were saying it, I I was going to write it down because I was going to forget, but is the desire is almost the, the losing of independence, the losing of, of, I don't want to say freedom per se, but there's now is this institution, there's this setup of where God says there is this rulership and headship, which can be a struggle. It can be. Um, but I've also heard exactly what Rose is saying too. I actually just read something before I came in where they were talking about that is that there is this repeat process too of the pain of childbirth that it comes to that. And one commentator even made a point too. He goes, it's not even the conception and sorrow of childbirth. It's all the pain and sorrow that a mother carries with her. You know, until the child, I mean, throughout life. I remember one time I was attending a funeral where somebody was talking about um, going over to the, the grandparents' house and he had pictures of all his grandkids on the wall. And someone made a comment to him of, you know, what an honor, what a legacy. And he said, there's actually a lot of worry on that wall, is the way he put it. And so one commentator even said, if you think about it from the role of a mother, is once you have the child, the pain's not over. You carry a pain the rest of your life. Where if, once again, if you were back in the Garden of Eden, hey, we had a kid. Go do whatever you want. Because there's no harm, there's no threat, there's no nothing. And part of the pain of this is that for the rest of your life, and anybody has a kid out there who knows this, you're always worrying. So I think there's a lot there in verse 16 of what is it actually trying to say and what it could be. Because this is, this is a cursed world. It's a cursed world. Yeah, surely.
Wow, that's a downer of a commentary, but... Right, and I think that's what uh, it is. It is all my fault. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you this. We got five kids, and I'll tell you what happened here is every time, every time we had a kid, I always re- no, 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 no. I, I, I will keep things discreet, but I will tell you this: is every time we had a kid, uh, during about the final stages of the pregnancy, Don always said we were done. And then right after she had the baby, and I'm not kidding there, the day in the hospital, she goes, I want another one. No, don't say all. I'm just telling you. Well, when you look like me, you can see why people... Jody, you had your hand up. Mm-hmm. Well, man had already ruled over them. That's not part of the curse. I think what it happens there, that word for cattle in the Bible is really just a generic term that means any type of creature created. So, but if you go back to, where is it at? It's in Genesis chapter 2, where it talks about how man is over the animals. So, I don't think that that is part of the curse, because man was already over the animals at that time. I think what God is trying to say here in verse 14 is, of all the animals created, you are now the lowest of the low. And I've studied this out one time, and I can't think of the reference off the top of my head. But that is a very important part where it says that on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I heard a pastor say one time that that would be ceremonially, that's like the most unclean thing that you could be. It's in Old Testament times, is you're constantly on the ground. You know, if you stop and you think about it, a, any animal, you have a cat, a dog, whatever. When you go up and you pet the animal, you know, the feet are on the ground, but you're, you're petting that soft fur. Snake is constantly on the ground, just constantly in the dirt and the mire of the world. And it's a picture of just being the lowest of the low. There's no animal that goes lower than a snake. It's constantly on its belly on the ground. So I think that's what it's trying to say in verse 14, is you are lower than anything else. Anybody else have anything about this stuff before we go on? Okay. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second and look at your sheets, if you will. It says the results of this, and we're running out of time, so we can't do all the references. The the result of this is the whole world is cursed. I mean, mean, that's what it's really kind of coming down to. We we need to go to the Romans 8 passage because it's such an important one. If you could turn there real quick, Romans 8. Because really what we're talking about here is the whole world now is under a curse. We specifically talked about the snake. We spiritually talked about the serpent. We talked about man, we talked about woman, but the whole world now is fallen under this absolute curse. I, I remember it was a couple years ago, there were some horrible storms that you know hit the United States, and I had somebody contact me saying, why? It's a cursed world. This is a cursed world. Romans 8, look here at verse 20. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it in hope, because of the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. What verses 20 through 22 is basically saying is the world has been cursed, and verse 22, the world is groaning. The world is groaning because of just the curse that it's under. This is a cursed fallen world. So when I see a report about a destructive hurricane, a destructive tornado, a destructive earthquake, that's not God's plan. Now when I say it's not God's plan, please don't think that God's up there in heaven saying, I wish I could stop it. 
No, this is the result of choices we have made. And we live in this cursed, fallen world. Stay with our sheets and look at Romans 5.12. And we got to go quickly through this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. It's this domino effect. Adam sinned. Adam represents man. Now all mankind has sinned. And it's spread through the whole world. Adam's sin now affects the woman. It affects him. It affects everything. The entire world has been brought under this curse. This bondage of sin because we have opened the door and let sin enter the world. As we mentioned, I believe it was last week about the enemy. When Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world. He can do that. Because when we sinned, we, have, we in a sense handed the world over to the enemy. Where that's why the Bible says that Satan is the ruler of this world. Because we have said we'd rather live under sin than live in the Garden of Eden. Now, generally at this time, it's where somebody says, okay, Adam sinned, but... It's always important to put this little note down. We are sinners by birth, by choice, and by nature. Meaning this, as soon as I am born, I'm born into a sinful world, and the sinful world just already corrupts me. I'm a sinner by choice. I've chosen to sin in my life, and I'm a sinner by nature. I have inherited sin from my great, 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 whatever... Grandfather Adam, I'm just completely covered in sin. I'm born into sin, I sin by choice, and my nature is just sin. This is the cursed fallen world. Now, at this point, it's really depressing. But look at our last verse, Romans 5.18, and this is out of the New Living Translation. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. See, the Bible talks about the second Adam, which is Jesus. First Adam messed everything up. Jesus fixes everything. And, and that's what's so important, and I can't stress to you enough, when you read in Genesis 3, that verse 15, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The first prophecy is already showing us the virgin birth, virgin birth and the plan that God has to fix all this. Yes, through one man, centered of the world, but through one man, Christ, the whole sin thing was taken care of. Don't forget that. Let's finish this up real quick here. Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And if you look in your Bibles there, Eve means life or living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, no good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life meat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There's lots of stuff in here. We only got a few minutes in it real quick. You see in verse 21, God had to clothe them. We covered this last week just a little bit, so I'm just going to hit this quickly. When Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to cover their own sin up with fig leaves. That's a picture of us trying to make ourselves look right in the eyes of God. I know I'm a sinner. I'll fix myself. doesn't work that way. Verse 21, the Lord has to fix you. The Lord has to provide the forgiveness of sins. And how did the Lord provide forgiveness of sins? Innocent animals were killed. It's a picture of the Old Testament law. This idea that blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed to cover sin. So since Adam and Eve sinned, some innocent little animal was killed and skinned because of their sin. This is obviously a foreshadowing, verse 21, of Jesus, where God provided Him to take care of our sin. 
So there's a great prophecy there in verse 21. Verse 22, 23, and 24, this idea of the tree of life. Remember, there was two trees. There's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Since now they had brought sin into the world, they were now going to physically die. Go back and look at verse 19. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam, you're not going to die. Now, so what God is now saying is, I love Adam and Eve so much I need to protect them from the tree of life because the assumption here is, if they would go eat of the tree of life, that means that they could live on forever in a sinful, fallen body. Now, now as humans nowadays, the Bible says we get basically about 70 years. I heard somebody tell me one time that up until about age 70, it was pretty good. From about 70 on, things started falling apart pretty quickly. Nobody wants to live forever in these decrepit bodies. Nobody does. So God, in love, said, I'm going to protect Adam and Eve from this tree of life, so I will now guard this tree of life, because if they would partake of this fruit, they could live on forever in a fallen, decrepit body. That's why now when we die physically, we actually get a new body in heaven. And if you look, where's the tree of life now? Well, according to Revelation, the tree of life is up in heaven waiting for us. That's part of the beautiful picture of this. So you see so much in these last few verses as well, too, which sets us up for next week, because now we're out of the Garden of Eden, and now we see what life is like in a fallen world here in Genesis 4. So we've got a couple quick final comments to make here, but I want to open it up. Anybody got any final questions, comments? Ryan. Yeah, after the, like, like Ryan was saying, there was after the curse, we were um, vegetarians before that. And it's in Genesis 9, after the flood, that God now says there's going to be people eating meat there. And you see the change there. And that's part of the cursed fallen world, is the nature that we live in is this idea of animals attacking animals. It's a cursed fallen world. That's why if you look in the millennial reign of Christ, you know, the lion and the wolf lie down together because that's now been lifted there. Yeah, Seth. Right. The big changes happen after the fall of Adam and Eve. After the flood, the main changes that you see there is it seems to be a change in the actual environment of the world. You see lifespans going down dramatically. Adam lived to be 900-some years old, and Noah lived to be, I think, 600, if I remember correctly. Um, after the flood, you start seeing lifespans go down because the world changed. And also after the flood, you start seeing now people eating meat. So those are the main changes that happen after the flood. But the fall of man is where the big stuff starts changing. Adam and Eve did not eat meat, no. Nope, they were vegetarians until then. Anybody else got any final things? Yeah, yeah it's Genesis, Genesis 9. I'll take you there real quick. If you look in Genesis 9, uh, verse 2, after the flood, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and all that move on the earth and all that fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So what you see happening after the flood now is this, is this idea of meat, which we'll get into this in a little bit. Some people believe that up until the flood that there wasn't this animosity between man and animal. That's part of the reason why Adam, excuse me, that's part of the reason why Noah was able to get all the animals on the boat. He didn't have to go out and hook them up and bring them in type thing. So things change after the flood as well, too. Yeah, Rose. Yeah. 
We're just sinners. I mean, that, that's the thing. If, if I try to say, fine, I get out of the hole, I don't accept the fact that my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather sinned, so I sinned, so I'm not sinned by nature, and I don't think I've done any sin by birth, I've still sinned by choice. I mean, you can't get out of this. You're just a sinner. That's what it comes down to. And it's not God's way of trying to kick you while you're down. It's God's way of trying to show you the error of your ways to say, I can fix this through Christ. That's part of the beauty of it. Yeah, Renee. Amen. And that's what I think is so amazing about verse 15. As soon as sin comes in the world, God is already establishing the plan to fix this problem. Already. That is grace, love, and mercy. I mean, I mean think about this. What we do as humans sometimes is when somebody we know messes up, we like to give them the silent treatment. I'm not going to deal with this right now. God could have done that. He could have for thousands of years not dealt with it. No, right from the beginning he says, here's the plan to fix this, and now it's just a process until that happens. Anybody else got anything? Ryan. Mm-hmm. The only significance I can tell you to that is I heard somebody say one time that this actually, verse 20, this Eve is actually a prophecy where Adam is now telling his wife, you are now the mother of all living things because it's through you that we will now have life because your seed will bring us life through the Messiah. So somebody said one time, this pastor said, that actually by calling her Eve, it's a picture of Adam saying, your seed is going to bring life to us. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, Marv. It's interesting because this is what I do on Wednesday nights now. I've been doing Wednesday nights for 16 years. I start thinking, what questions could people possibly ask? So I thought somebody could possibly ask, what happened to the tree of life? So, I looked up what could possibly happen to the tree of life. And there were two theories, three theories on what happened to the tree of life. Theory number one, and these are all theories, I'm just going to throw it out there because I knew somebody could ask this. One theory said that it was going to be corrupted by sin, and so it completely just decayed and fell apart because the whole world was cursed. And so God created a new tree of life in heaven, hence revelation. Idea number two is that God transplanted the tree of life up to heaven. Uh, Theory number three was it was there until the flood, and then the flood completely covered the tree of life, and therefore it was now done. And this guy went even further, and I want to meet this guy, because he said if we could find where it was, we could dig it up and still eat of it. And he thought there could still be an angel guarding it underground. And he said it sounds like an Indiana Jones movie. I'm serious. That's what he said. I don't know who that guy is, but I want to meet him because he could be my friend. So, those are three theories on the tree of life. God transplanted it to heaven, it eventually was corrupted by the curse, and God started over in heaven. Or it's hidden under dirt, still protected by an angel, and we just have to find it and dig it up and everything's cool. So... That's yeah, God's tree. He can transplant it if he wants. Obviously, we know it's there because it's up in Revelation. It's still there. So, I still like the Indiana Jones theory. Um, anybody else have anything here before we close up? Just a quick, quick reminder. You will face a struggle this week. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's because you live in a cursed world. And God still loves you and brought you out of it. You will feel physical pain this week. You will have emotional pain. You will have spiritual pain. It's because we live in a cursed world. Wives, you will struggle with your husbands this week. It is a fact. 
It's because you live in a cursed world. Husbands, you will struggle with the balance of work and marriage and life, and you will get frustrated and ticked and mad and angry because that's part of your curse. This is the cursed world we live in. You know these things. You understand these things. So understand, Lord, I can't allow this cursed world to bring me down because you brought me salvation and life. There's still a joy in the midst of this world. And so the next time husbands are ticked at work and your wife, it's part of the curse. Next time wives are bothered by your husbands, it's part of the curse. The next time you feel pain, it's because of the curse. Remember that this is not God's original plan. He wants to take you out of this curse and bring you the salvation of Christ that we have in heaven for all of eternity. Remember God's love during this. So, let's pray and we'll let you guys all go then. Heavenly Father, a lot to talk about tonight. A lot of neat stuff. Help us to keep the main focus here. And the main focus is that you bring salvation. And that's what matters most. We live in a cursed world, but you still bring salvation to us. Thank you. Thank you. And in any struggles that we may have in our marriages or emotionally or spiritually or physically, it comes down to the curse, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our choices and help us to serve you and love you. In your name, amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.